Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you joined us today. We're here to help tell stories of hope and inspiration for all of our food friends out there. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Massoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Hi, Sarah. Hi. It's good to see you and hear your voice. I feel like... Um, it's been two you, weeks. Yeah, we took a little break, which uh, we sometimes do when we need it. And you went mm-hmm. to see your mom. I did. I saw my mom and some of my family um, in Minnesota. I've never been to Minnesota. What was the weather like there? Minnesota. Uh, the weather was a little chilly the first two days, and then it warmed up to around 70 degrees during the day. So I had a great time. Weather was beautiful. Uh, the lake was calm. And we saw a lot of flora and fauna, cool the wild beavers and the uh, fish jumping and all sorts of great stuff. So it was a good trip. Uh, I want to know what food you ate while you were gone. What do you eat in Minnesota? Well, my sister had made some wild rice with uh, bacon and mushrooms. One of my favorite ways to have wild rice. And it was from the Net, uh, Net Lake Reservation. So it was true Minnesota wild rice. And it was quite tasty. And then my other favorite thing that I ate actually was a summer sausage with wild rice in it. <laughs> I I've definitely never had that. That's, <laughs> there was a piece left in the fridge the morning I left. I'm like, I'm taking this and I chopped it up and put it in a bag. So I had to drive 300, well, 220 miles south to the airport. She, they live way up north. So I munched on that. So your summer, summer it made a good road snack. It was a great road <laughs> snack. I was super happy with that. That's cool. Well, I'm glad you're back. Where were you? You disappeared too. I was like, where did Mrs. Did. Marshall go? I know I left it a mystery. <laughs> I, um, I went to Palm Springs. Um, I had my best buddy turn 45. And so um, it was the first time I've traveled and we went to the desert and it was awesome. And um, yeah, it was great. I was in the desert. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So it was really nice. And we just ended up, we got an Airbnb. So we just cooked food. We didn't, I didn't eat any special Palm Springs Food, I wonder what I, that would be. Well, I do know a fun Palm Springs fact, so I'm going to tell you it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and that is that 90% of dates are grown in the Palm Desert in, in the U.S. because it's the perfect place to grow dates. So that's what grows there. I think it's the only thing that they can grow there because Probably. it's so hot. It was like 103 degrees when I was there, and that's not even that warm for there. So anyways... 
dates. That's what they grow in Palm oh, Springs. I'm so <laughs> glad you went on a trip. That was, it was crazy going through the airport and stuff. Like stuff still shut down and there weren't as many people, but everyone, people seemed a little pensive. There weren't any real food choices yet. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, pretty much same. Yeah, that's what I style. thought too. Same. I think um, they're doing a lot of work on the airport so that they're ready when mm-hmm. full full travel is back on. But yeah, wasn't there wasn't a lot of food options, which usually we have one of the best airports, I think, for for food and drink, and them keep they keep it really local, which is nice because a lot of the other airports aren't really like that. But yeah. someday they will be back in action. Yeah, <laughs> soon I think. I think so too. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're back. Miss you when I don't see you. So here we are for another show. (laughs) Another show. (laughs) So we're not alone. We're not alone. We have a special guest today. I would like to introduce Tanya Farman. She is the owner of Queen of Hearts Superfoods. And Queen of Hearts is located in Hood River, Oregon. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, we want to help connect our listeners and our family to you. So can you um, tell us how people can find you on Instagram, social medias, things of that nature? Yep. We are at Queen of Hearts Hemp for Facebook and Instagram. And our website is queenofhearts.com. Super simple. Perfect. That's an easy one. <laughs> now- Sometimes it gets complicated. I found out, actually, you probably told me before, but it didn't really sink in why you chose Queen of Hearts, because your grandpa was called the Pickle King. Yep. Yeah, he was. And uh, I felt that it was time for a queen in the family food legacy. Yes. (laughs) I love love that that. story. (laughs) Where, Where was he and his pickle business? So uh, it was up out of Kent, Washington, and uh, we had, it was called Farman's Pickles. Um, If you've been around in the last 20 plus years in the Pacific Northwest, you know the brand well, Uh, but the brand actually was sold to um, uh, Nally's and then that company got sold to a bigger company. And uh, it's kind of a sad story is... um, uh, the Pacific Northwest used to be a really huge uh, pickle uh, region. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, when those three brands, which was Seinfeld's, Nally's, and Farman's were the big brands, um, they all uh, were purchased by the same company. And all the farming was all up and down the, uh, all the way from the Skagit Valley down to the Willamette Valley, I-5 corridor, great cucumber farming. And um, a about a month and a half before harvest, um, those uh, contracts were canceled and all of the growing uh, and production was moved overseas. So it was a really sad story. Um, did it go to India? It did. Yeah. It did. Oh, man, I have a pickle story. From I bought a jar of pickles and... They were so cheap. They're like, it was like a half gallon of pickles for $2.99. I was like, I got to try these pickles. But when I got them home, I put them in the cupboard and I looked at the thing and it said India. And I was going to return them because I don't want to buy pickles from India. And when I was gone on a trip, my daughter opened them and she's like, mom, where did you get these pickles? These are the worst pickles 
forever. <laughs> you yeah, know, you're it's... not the first person to come on and kind of tell us a, a sad farmer story of like the Pacific Northwest because we had um, a sad story. Yeah, and and I th- I never really think about this region being good for specifically for cucumbers. And I think it's for that reason, a lot of the farmers, like they'll maybe grow a few, but I think once something tragic like that happens, then all the farmers are like, well, don't grow pickles or don't grow whatever it is. Yeah. Because it's like, um, yes, I keep saying pickles, but I mean, cucumbers. Oh, I say it all the time. They are pickles. Let's grow some pickles. Let's grow some pickles. I haven't, well, I haven't quite caught up to my full self. <laughs> it's funny because when I was at Oregon State University, some of my friends got summer jobs in the pickle um, factories here around mm-hmm. Portland. And yeah, it, it was big. It was big. Mm-hmm, I went and mm-hmm. visited some of the pickle um, factories. They used to have big, huge, like, I don't know, thousand gallon buckets of pickles, right? Did you yeah. ever swim in one of those, Tanya? I always yes. wanted to go swimming in there. <laughs> yes. It's not that fun, really. <laughs> <laughs> you get really smelly. You really smell like brine. And, you know, it's kind of a uh, novel uh, for a minute. And then you quickly realize about a week after that you still smell like brine. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was... It was really the, the cucumber slash pickle industry back in the days. I mean, it was it was really special because we were uh, we were friend we weren't the farmers we were the processors and we had such close relationships with the the farms and the farmers and had family reunions and went out to the fields and um, and I just have such vivid memories of just that that wonderful culture and so when that all just went away and in just a a, such a an instant it really was crushing to many farms and families that had grown cucumbers for generations and I part of you know my my purpose and why I was so excited to get into um, food as a processor is I saw the value of working with farmers but not being the farmer because I'm really not a good farmer. <laughs> same. Um, <laughs> feel the same way. I'm trying to be a farmer in my backyard. Yeah, you are. It's hard. I feel a couple of pickling cucumber plants already. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, well, now what's, yeah, it's great because now there's such a thriving boutique pickle uh, industry that's that's really um, starting to blossom and flourish in the Northwest. So it, it's exciting to see that happening. Yeah. Well, yeah. now we know where your name comes from and your family history, but let's tell people what you make. So yes. do you want to start um, when when I think people hear hemp, I think they need a little bit of explanation. So let's um, let's start with just, just defining like your main product and what it is, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so we work with the grain side of hemp, which is a completely different plant from what we're typically used to here in the Northwest, which is um, maybe the CBD side of hemp um, or the uh, recreational cannabis, which is a whole nother side. Um, Grain is actually doesn't grow very well in the western side of the mountains. It grows really well where um, we grow uh, wheat and barley and pulse crops on the eastern side of the mountains. Um, And the plant itself grows um, 
very tall and narrow. Uh, it's, it's more densely planted. And the biggest difference is it is grown both males and females. So they pollinate because we're looking for the seeds. The seeds of the plant are what is the nutritional powerhouse or, or superfood of the plant. So um, the seeds have a really um, perfect balance of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, they're really high in protein, magnesium, manganese, and all, all sorts of vitamins and minerals. Um, and so that is what we uh, work with farmers to grow is the seed, the nutritional seed of the hemp plant. And then um, with that, once we get the seed, which is called grain, um, not a seed as in a planting seed, but the grain, we then, um, we have it hauled. So the outer shell is removed and then we have the heart of the seed. So that is where uh, the heart comes from is, is this the heart of the hemp seed. And then um, we, we don't stop there though. What is fantastic about the um, seed is it just is very versatile and you can take that one seed and do so much with it and with different, make it into different ingredients. So we, um, once we haul the seed, we have this shell that is a super fibrous shell that can go into the animal market as a, a fiber rich ingredient. Um, and then we also cold press the seeds into just an expeller press, old fashioned cold mechanical press process. And we get this really wonderful, rich, nutty, buttery oil. And uh, that oil is a nutritional oil. It has a, a low smoke point. So it's not something you would cook with, but it's just a really nutrient dense oil, great for blending in dressings or as like a, a bread dipping oil or just into a smoothie or drizzling on soups uh, or, or just by the spoonful is, uh, people take it as a supplement. Mm. And then from that, we have um, the residual uh kind of the, it's a seed cake from when you press the oil, uh, the cake then gets further uh, crushed into a finer meal or powder. And then we concentrate that into protein powder. And it's a pure 100% uh, hemp protein. And it has uh, a really high protein content of about 10 grams for three tablespoons. So people really like it for smoothies and uh, also uh, as a a gluten-free flour that can uh, kind of uh, work with additional gluten-free flours. It can't be by itself or act by itself or replace flour completely, but it's a really nice uh, gluten-free uh, friend to gluten-free products. So there's a lot to do with that seed. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how you've um, figured out to do so much with just a seed, you know? Um, you have all these wonderful, great products. Um, and I was thinking you're kind of like a no waste facility if you're using every component, which, you know, Sarah and I talked to guests about a lot. It's a, it's a really good factor to help with costs and things like that. If you can repurpose things. Yeah. And so it sounds like you're really um, focusing on that. Talking about yeah. repurposing, are you using the stocks for rope or anything like that? That's what I want to know. Baskets? Yeah. Yeah, so we are not. We're we. It's a completely different process when you're dealing with the 
um, the stock. So um, right now, actually, we we work really closely with a, a fiber processing facility in Montana that also helps us with our hemp seeds and working with farmers to grow. And um, they are they're working on the fiber part. So the stalks and breaking it down and those strands into fiber that can then go into, say, animal herd or further processed into um, uh, woven and non-woven materials such as for uh, ropes or fabric. Um, most of the fabric that we get right now comes from China and they've been doing hemp fabric for many, many, many years before we have. And um, you see a lot of the hemp blends uh, in different branded products uh, like Patagonia or Prana, et cetera. They, they are, uh, they're really sturdy, really durable. Um, and a lot of them come from China right now, but we're working on that here in the U.S. We've got some uh, fiber facilities coming on board so we can have a more domestic supply. So that's really exciting. That's cool. Uh, do you um, get, you mentioned Montana, is that where most of your hemp seed comes from? Uh, right now, it's um, not most of it. We actually get also seeds from Eastern Washington. And um, right now, we don't have any in Oregon yet because so much CBD is grown here. There's there's still a cross-pollination concern for grain. Mm -hmm. So a little fun, interesting fact, not really fun, but interesting is that the uh, Oregon Department of Agriculture actually does not have a single acre of hemp uh, registered as grain in Oregon. And wow. so really trying to get that changed because we really see the future of uh, hemp grain, especially on the east side of the mountains, um, integrating into a rotational uh, system because it's so good for the soils and for other crops on the back end. So we're seeing that actually in all of our plantings in eastern Washington and Montana as well as is um, how well it is helping with the soil. So we're really trying to communicate that to farmers in the Northwest to get them interested in growing the grain. So you're bringing the grain in from other Western states and then you're created value-added products. Can you tell us some of the value-added products you're making? Yeah. So, you know, I learned, we started in just hemp hearts and seed oil and quickly realized that the general public just was not uh, quite didn't quite understand what these things were. You know, they, people would get confused that it had uh, CBD in it, or people would ask questions like, can I get high from hemp seeds at farmer's markets? <laughs> and uh, so I realized early on, uh, it just took me a while to accept it, that it was going to be a really uphill education challenge. Uh, but one thing I did know is that these ingredients when they were blended into other food products, just added incredible nutrient density. And the hemp heart itself was super creamy. So it actually cool. added a creaminess that could almost replicate dairy. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's pretty awesome. So what we're doing is we're taking actually each of the ingredients that we produce, um, and we are producing a dressing and marinade line, which we're really excited about, um, which Sarah and her team has helped with and very yeah. excited about that. Yeah. And so, yeah. So that's, that's really that's cool. I saw you have a hemp milk um, kit on your website. Are you going to make hemp milk too, or are you just going to sell the, the kit to make it at home? 
Well, it's funny because we we make hemp milk for our farmers markets. Oh, and you do? Yeah, we do. And our, our independent stores here in Hood River. And it's actually one of the highest moving products that we have. And we make a chocolate and a vanilla. And then we go through some seasonal flavors um, during berry season. We do a um, we do a blueberry and a huckleberry. And uh, so we we just have such great success with that, but it really is a laborious process. So I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, give, make this nice little kit that has the hemp hearts and the bottle. And we use a little, little uh, packet of Jacobson sea salt and, you know, the whole nine yards, but um, people really just want to buy the milk. They want convenience, right? (laughs) People don't want to have to do the work. That's the same. I they wrote a whole, a whole book showing people how to make the sauces that I make, but people still just want me to make it for them. They want instant <laughs> yeah. gratification, don't they? Yeah, but I, I think it's really cool that you do the um, hemp milk because, you know, I, I've talked on the show about I was trying to figure out some some things with my intake of food and how to feel better. And as I get older, my body changes. So I tried to cut out gluten and I didn't really feel any better, but you know, what really helped was dairy. I, I cut out dairy and that instantly I could tell, like, I know for Sarah, when she was trying to figure out and figured out it was gluten for her, she could tell right away. And for me, it was really dairy things. And so I've been trying all different kinds of, um, you know, other things, but I haven't tried hemp milk and I really want to. So I saw your kit on the website and I was like, Ooh, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> or you can just get a big bag of hemp hearts to make it I yourself. <laughs> I know. I, I, maybe I'll do that instead because I also started thinking about, um, different recipes, like to make, you know, I really like in the winter, I like to have soups that are creamy. So I'm already thinking about things that I have to change. So I was thinking I could do soups with the hemp hearts instead. Mm-hmm. I think yes. that's going to work. Yeah. I'm going to experiment. Take a break? Oh, yeah. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk more. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, we're back. Tanya, can you tell us a little bit about the salad dressings that you're putting together? They sound really yummy. Oh, they are. I'm so I'm so excited about them because, you know, uh, just a little background on on how I got to the dressings is um, I've made I've been making dressings my whole life, and everyone always calls me to bring the salad to the picnic or to the you know, dinner, whatever it is. And I just assume that everyone makes dressings. And uh, I, I didn't realize that it was, that it, that's not the case. And um, when I was, I started a nonprofit um, a while back and r- realized through the experience of working with uh, young adults with cancer that that the, the diets were not doing all that well. They were really buying a lot of just kind of overly processed, um, not very good for you, um, dressings and sauces and all sorts of uh, products that just, they might say they're vegan, but they have other junk in them, or they might say that it's low fat, but they were eating uh, really other ingredients there that were not good for them. And it just felt like we should be able to have 
good products that are not only free from the junk, but are also wholesome and clean and healthy and actually add some value to the diet. Um, so when the idea came up for putting these ingredients together in a way that really would produce something nutrient dense and, and just add value to people's lives. Uh, I just felt like addressing was the first thing. It was like a no brainer because I just feel like everyone needs to have dressing because you have this wonderful produce and this great, wonderful greens or vegetables, and you put a crappy dressing on it. You put this junk on it that you get at the store. It made no sense to me. So um, that was the direction I started. And um, I quickly realized, you know, I really thought that I had my, my flavors down. And um, I realized it was a, it was a lot harder to get flavors, you know, and the, the balance of everything that I wanted by myself. And so I, I reached out to, um, to Sarah and the team at OSU to help me with it. And I'm so glad because uh, it's, it's more than just an art, you know, yeah, you all these ingredients like together. two chefs and a master's food science person working on your salad dressings. <laughs> they taste really good. It was good. so fun. Oh, good. Yeah. And the goal was really, you know, we wanted something um, that was dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free was huge because dressings have so much sugar in them. Um, And then also, yeah. And also uh, soy-free because we, um, you know, soy is, is, is kind of a big issue in our agriculture system. Not so much just, not just about health, but about um, healthy agriculture. And, I really wanted ingredients that were not just healthy for our bodies, but healthy for our environment and for our farms and for the egg and the overall food system. And so I was just, that's what I, that was my mission is to make a, an amazing superfood dressing. What flavors did you end up with? <clears throat> Let's see, we have a plant-based ranch, which oddly I'm not a r- big ranch person. And it's, I think one of my favorite flavors. I love it. Uh, Caesar, again, this is a plant-based Caesar and we have a green goddess, which is so fabulous and just so herbaceous and tangy and wonderful. Um, and the toasted sesame, which has got a kick to it that I love. It's kind of spicy and it's just got lemongrass and ginger and garlic and red peppers, uh, and so much good stuff in there. Um, and our vinaigrette, which is a little more of a simpler, subtler, uh, more traditional vinaigrette, but um, they all are just, they're each very unique. And uh, I've even gone beyond using them as dressings and drizzled them on rice bowls and uh, use them as marinades. And uh, really, actually, it's way more versatile than I had Im- initially designed it to be. So kind of excited That's about cool. that. cool. And you took the getting your recipe to market class, right? No, I didn't. didn't. Oh, I no, thought you were uh-uh. tied in with those folks, but you weren't. Oh, no, I've I've kind of stumbled along and kind of figured it out by, oh, by myself. Well, there you go. <laughs> but I have to say the Angel Food uh, Program with uh, Oregon Entrepreneurs Network was really helpful. Oh. And I just did that last year. Okay. And that was really helpful. That's probably why there are a lot of crossover folks in, in both of those programs. Um, yeah. I really like on your website, you were talking about kind of the uphill battle of explaining um, 
to customers and people at the farmer's market um, the just what you do, the difference between hemp and CBD and all of those things. But I have to say that your website really helps you with that process because you have a whole, um, what I forget what you call it, hemp school section. Is that right? And so you yeah. kind of walk everyone through and I, I read through it and we've had, um, you know, guests talk about some of the differences before, but the thing that I really learned from yours was, um, just that the, I always think of like hemp as an anti-inflammatory, which I knew. And I, I knew that like there was some nutritional value in it, but I didn't really know what, but you have this wonderful diagram that really shows you how beneficial it is to your whole body. And I thought that was really wonderful. And that, and really I was like, Oh, she's right. It is a superfood, but I, I, it took that me seeing that diagram to really get it. So thank you. I get it now. Thanks for that feedback. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And I think a lot of people don't know that they don't realize that Um, it, it just takes ongoing education. And and, uh, that's another thing I learned actually through Oregon uh, angel food is um, you can, (laughs) I think someone said you can kill your brand uh, trying to educate people uh, unless you have a multi-million dollar marketing budget to just constantly educate um, I, I don't, and <laughs> I, <laughs> I had to go a different direction. I mean, it was really one of the reasons why I decided to go with a value added product, um, is that I didn't need to educate people so much on the hemp, even though that is my secret ingredient. Um, and we're using it in a really fun, um, interesting way. And right now my challenge is, is, you know, when we launched this, which we've already launched it uh, on just a independent, small, independent local grocers and farmers market, but um, beyond uh, our little independent markets, we are hoping to really focus on the ingredients and the wholesomeness of all the ingredients together and not so much have to educate on hemp because people are still a little confused on that. So. And you've chosen to go shelf stable and you're looking for a co-manufacturer right now. How's that going? It's hard. It's hard, but I have to say, I'm really excited to connect with the, uh, the Portland community. I, what is the, what's the name they've decided on community? Co-packers? Yeah. Northwest. Yeah. Community yeah. Co-packers Northwest. Hannah and Chris's group and Ashani who worked on our dressings at the food innovation center is part of it. And And David Hill. Yep. Yep. And David Hill. And it was the first time I had a really great conversation with Hannah and I felt like uh, she was really open to collaboration and just learning about our needs as well as what they were trying to do, which is really help the maker food makers community. Um, and I don't know about other food brands experience, but when you talk to co-packers, uh, it, it, it can be really challenging. I feel like they speak a different language, um, and sometimes a little socially awkward and it's really hard to communicate what you're trying it's to hard. <laughs> create. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of them, I mean, you know, they're running a manufacturing facility that has to like, 
you know, meet the needs of a lot of people. And so they have to limit really what they do and what things they use. And I mean, I haven't talked to a co-packer. I, I went in the very beginning of starting my business. So that was like 10 years ago. But at the time, I couldn't find anybody to do what I wanted them to do. But I, I think that this new organization is hopefully going to fill that need for people so that there are people like you that are doing something very special and specific to you, but they can somehow find a way to help you. I think, I think is, is their goal, which is, it's really needed in this area, especially because either, either you have to build out your own thing, which is also hard and expensive. Um, or yeah, or you, you have to change what you're doing to meet the need of the co-packing facility, which I also think people shouldn't do. You know, I think you should, be able to do what you do best, but it sounds like they're going to be able to help with some of that. Oh, I hope so. I have to say one thing that I did have is we have a kitchen here in the Dalles, just east of Hood River. And I feel like it's really important to go through the process of making your own product first, because you really understand what goes into it and just little nuances about the product. Um, you know, everything from timing as to, you know, when I blend this set of ingredients with this set of ingredients and the challenges at scale, you start to see them and, and it makes me better understand why co-packers are really specific with their equipment or what kind of um, the actual viscosity that they deal with. I had one co-packer say, oh, I think your dressings are going to be too thin for our line. I had no idea. I thought if you do dressings or you can do any dressing. So it's it's definitely a learning process. And um, I'm trying to really focus on uh, understanding that whole process more so that I can be a little flexible where I can. I think that it feels like a little give and take on both sides, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Well, now we know um, what you make and we know a little bit about how you make it, but maybe tell us um, why you started your business and how you got started. Yeah, well, I, um, I like I mentioned just really briefly is I actually worked in nonprofit work for the last 11 years before I got into food. And I had started a nonprofit to help young adults with cancer. Um, And specifically, young adults were seeing increased cancer rates. And um, it's really, it's disturbing because we are understanding that is most likely environmental. Um, But I was helping survivors on the end tail end of their treatment where we were helping integrate them back into the life after cancer and really giving them a um, socially stimulating and and environment, actually doing adventure camps. Mm -hmm. And we had these wonderful chefs that made incredible food, just wholesome, wonderful, nutrient dense menus, just amazing food and lots of dietary restrictions as you can probably imagine. And it was the one thing that I witnessed was really transformative at the camp is when the survivors ate and they, after even a couple days of eating amazing food, it was just like their whole attitude change. It was like, they didn't even know that they could have food like this. Mm-hmm. And mind you, you know, we did have wonderful <laughs> chefs that were making three meals a day for us, 
but they were educating the survivors on, on ingredients and why this is a great ingredient and how to integrate this into your daily life, but on a, but really simply. And um, it just, it kind of clicked for me. I felt like we were getting more applicants into our program and I kind of felt like I wasn't solving the problem. And when I saw how food how our survivors were responding to food and to the meals and to that experience part of the program. I just, I just deep dove into food and I wanted to know more. I wanted to understand um, about our food system and I wanted to know what was making people sick and what was making people better. And I just, I, I just completely shifted my focus into food and specifically uh, what was something that was, sustainable and was grown domestically and something that could be a superfood that we could do many things with. Uh, I didn't even know much about hemp. I had hemp parts in my pantry, but I didn't know about anything else about it. And I just was blown away by the ever the, the superfood aspect of it. And so I kind of went down this path of learning about nutritional hemp and all the wonderful um, benefits it has. So um, that's how I got specifically into nutritional hemp and, um, and now just, you know, producing whatever uh, different foods with a focus that is with these wonderful superfood ingredients. I, um, I love that part of your story in, in that, um, you know, I think a lot of people too, when they do social work for a long time, this is what happened to me. The The moments that I found the most joyous were when I was feeding people and when I was watching people eat and when I was watching people change their health. And so then that's why I switched to food too. And I think that sometimes happens for people because it is a little bit, um, it's like you can't ever stop the problems, you know, and, and you, even no matter what you do, but like, maybe you can help with this one thing, you know? And I think that that's kind of a commonality with some of us, um, food makers, um, around, around this area anyways. Um, so when I, when I heard your story, I was like, Oh, that's like me. <laughs> yeah. And now it's just, it's just a, it's such a part of my life. I have learned so much about the food system that, it's funny. I actually look back at my time in social work, which was very hard. I mean, social work is hard and you know, you, it's, you just, you're shedding blood and tears all the time. And I feel like it's very similar in the food industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it can be in the beginning, but then I think it's not so much anymore. Once you like, once you have it, but you're still like in the beginning phases because you're, um, you have so many different things that you're designing and figuring out, but then like, once you kind of have it down, it's not so painful anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just till you get it all figured out. Yeah. And we're, we're there right now. I mean, I really, I'm excited about the dressing line. It's really um, been a focus during COVID actually. And um, we, we didn't get into dressings because of COVID, but the timing uh, with Oregon angel food and a lot of the things I learned through that was this, I, this is a great opportunity to try it out. And I have all the ingredients and um, it was just huge 
hugely successful. I our dressings are moving uh, way faster than I expected, even just in our independent grocers here in Head River, and uh, which is really exciting because it's you know the price point's a little higher than um, other dressings because of the ingredients. Uh, we use all wholesome ingredients that um, that we source very thoughtfully. Um, and all of our hemp is uh, the seeds are all American grown. There's a lot of hemp seed products that come from Canada because they've been growing hemp seeds for over 20 years. Yeah, a long um, time. Yeah, and and that's yeah, they are a lot cheaper. Um, I think that ours are better because they're fresher and they come from a lot closer. And we're really trying to uh, build a supply chain with uh, hemp in the United States because we've just seen it really uh, renew a lot of farmers that younger farmers that may go on to do something else. They really have this renewal and interest in, oh my gosh, what's this hemp stuff? So, you know, that's pretty exciting is that a lot of the farmers are, you know, the farming community beyond our, our little area in the in east or in, in western Washington and western Oregon. Beyond that, I mean the farming communities and agriculture are kind of dwindling in a lot of areas. And we're really trying to help build that back up and get younger farmers interested in this new exciting crop that is so good for our soil. So it has just such great environmental benefits as well. So it's exciting. Uh, we always like to talk a little bit about um, where people can find your products. So of course we want them to go to your website and buy from you directly or for they can buy from you at the farmer's market. You do you do the Hood River Farmer's Market? We do. Mm-hmm. And then where else can they get your products from? We are at 16 new season stores. And we are working on getting the market of choice. So we're hoping right. that's going to happen soon. Um, and then we are in independent grocers here in Hood River, including Huckleberries at Rosars, Tree Bird Market, uh, Farm Stand, and uh, harvest market in white salmon. Super. Perfect. Yeah. And have, go ahead, Sarah. I was just going to ask do you have any um, stories that you'd like to tell our listeners about some great obstacle that you've overcome? Oh boy, how many? Where do I even start? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I. I think the, um, I would say it specifically in food, um, the obstacle of really bringing a new ingredient to market we, where there never has been uh, any, any presence. So we've never had an American hemp seed uh, here in the United States before 2000, was it 2004 or so? Before that, we were importing from Canada. And so um, educating uh, people on hemp seeds and the grain side of hemp and also uh, the environmental side, there's always a balance of you know, what, what do people care about? And I think learning that has been a challenge and just accepting consumer behavior and realizing that you can't just change it overnight <laughs> or change it at all. Yes. Um, that's that's been really eye opening for me, um, and never m- never making assumptions about customers or consumers. Um, really love the farmers markets because 
you have a direct connection with the customers. You get to learn a lot about them and, and why they like your product. And that's really valuable. And um, I think that going into retail stores, I think, you know, bigger stores, that's going to be one of the challenges that I, I think is going to be hard for me to overcome and trying to figure out how to keep connected to customers um, is probably always a, a scaling challenge that people and brands have. So that's uh, not really something I've overcome yet, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were telling us you're going to Montana this evening. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, so we're planting in Montana. I say we, collective, we, as in the farmers that we work with. Um, and as a processor, it's really exciting to be there when they're planting. And um, because a lot of these farmers are just learning how to grow hemp for the first time. So um, we're part of the, it, it's a collaborative effort. We're all figuring this out together. And so, yeah, going to drive out to central, kind of central Eastern Montana, just north of Great Falls, which is called the Golden Triangle. They grow a lot of wheat out there. And uh, the farmers are so excited to integrate hemp because um, uh, it's just it's just an exciting new crop and they get to see they see the benefit to their soils and their crops. And so, yeah, the, the, I get to drive to Montana and be there by tomorrow night. <laughs> There's like a place in Ronan called the Mission Mountain Food Center, and they have manufacturing facilities there for food entrepreneurs. I didn't know if you knew that. I didn't. No. Yeah, so you might keep that in mind if you need to do anything in Montana. Okay, where is that in Montana? In Ronan. Oh, Ronan, okay. It's, don't ask me which road it's off of, but it's just below <laughs> Google the park. It. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's more up, up a little on the north side. Okay, wonderful. It's beautiful out there. I, I like the drive. It's good, good thinking time. Yeah. I think it's exciting too to be part of, the farming process. Like, uh, you know, I'm in the same boat. I'm not a, a farmer. I have a garden and I do okay with it, but that's it. But I still get to be involved in our farmers. And when they plant things, they like, they're, they're just ex as excited as about it. And they'll send me like pictures of the plant babies when they <laughs> transfer them from the greenhouse. And it's like just a really cool process. And we'll go out and harvest with them, especially if they are usually at the <laughs> time they're harvesting all of our peppers. Um, it's their busiest time and peppers, you know, a lot of farmers in Oregon have stopped growing peppers because they're very, or at least on a big scale, because they have to take care of them. They have to grow them in, in hoop houses and hot houses, but they're also, labor intensive as far as picking goes. So sometimes we'll have farmers that have grown us stuff and then they'll be like, Hey, your peppers are ready, but we don't have anybody to pick them. So I'm like, come on family, <laughs> we're going out. That's awesome. Pick our peppers. <laughs> pick a peck of pickled you... peppers. <laughs> do you have to wash your hands really well after that? I wear gloves. The farmers do not. <laughs> They're used to it. They have farm hands, labored farm hands. <laughs> yep. I have a new respect for farmers. Yeah. It, it's amazing. Well, this is the time that I hate the most, but I have to tell you ladies that our time is up for today. <laughs> I know, but it was so great to have you on the show. Uh, let's tell our listeners one more time your website so they can find you. Queenofhearts.com. 
Perfect. And everyone can go check out all the wonderful products that they make. And it was so great to chat with you today and hear more about your business. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. We record Missoni and Marshall every week. Find us on your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a message to our Missoni and Marshall Instagram, and we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisherfolk, and ranchers, by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.